Hello, and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. And uh, emphasis on the live part today. Uh, it's moments like this. This is the first time, possibly, in nearly two and a half years that uh, we were late in getting started. And uh, this, is the, this, is, this is where the whole live part comes into play uh, because, well, it's just, it is what it is. Uh, we had a, uh, well, we had lots of stuff to do this morning and uh, we just sort of barely finished in time for today's uh, live stream. But we're here and you're here and that's all good. And we're glad to have you here. We're happy that you could join us today. And if you would like to uh, join us in a more meaningful way, as always, the links are in the chat and there's one right on screen. Um, if you are at all interested in knowing what, it, what, what kept us late was uh, yesterday, today's Mother's Day, and yesterday we were hosting a... Um, bit of a uh, uh, a barbecue here at the house and um, well suffice it to say uh, we experienced a, a bit of a bonfire inside the barbecue a bit of a uh, Dante's Inferno and so after that fiasco yesterday where the very flames of hell we're licking up from the bottom of the barbecue to uh, to attempt to destroy our uh, our food. I made a commitment that I would I would the next thing that I do would be to completely overhaul and clean the barbecue top to bottom, inside and out, and uh, that's what I've been doing since eight o'clock this morning. And it's now two in the afternoon, and I just sort of barely finished. So, uh, but time flies when you're doing physical manual work. It's unbelievable. You're sitting there, you're scrubbing, you're doing whatever you're doing, and you don't notice, you don't realize time is just fleeting past. And uh, before I knew what was going on, I looked at my watch, it was one o'clock, and I hadn't prepared my father any lunch or anything, and, and I was like, I... I... Uh, I was coming up on the live stream and, well, suffice it to say, here we are. You could say that that's my truth for today. 
And that is, after all, today's topic. This uh, wonderful, wonderful, this, this magical and all-encompassing and so very convenient term, my truth. We, we wanted to spend some time going over what the origins of this word is and where, where it comes from, why it exists, and the, the nature of it and how it relates to what we always refer to as self-evident experiential knowledge or gnosis. Gnosis to the Greeks, and you guys are all familiar with that word. And we often use the expression, the alm of life and the search for uh, self-evident experiential knowledge, that, that which we seek. So surely my truth relates to that because my truth suggests that personal, direct, experiential truth. Is it not? Benjamin says, hi, Atlas. Hello, Benjamin. Glad to have you here. Glad to have all of you here. And if it's your first time joining us, we're glad you could join us today. We don't expect many to join us today. After all, it is Mother's Day. And typically, we would dedicate uh, today talking about our Divine Mother. But rather than making the uh, topic about that again, as we like in a mechanical sort of way, we will bring in the significance of our Divine Mother in today's conversation. After all, she plays a role in just about every single aspect of our life. And we can't even, off the top of our head, give you an example of something that she doesn't play a role in. It's our divine mother nature. I mean, you cannot, you cannot even do anything mindlessly or physically or without your divine mother involved because your physical body is her body. It's our nature in every aspect. And that too is our truth. It's not just our truth, it's the truth. For each and every person, there is nobody who exists outside of nature. No one, nothing. And I don't just mean mechanical nature, biological nature, the nature that you see when you look out your window. I'm talking about our metaphysical nature, the internal worlds. The whole body of the physical universe and the metaphysical universe, all manifestation on all levels, is all the body of the divine feminine. It's all the fe divine feminine force. No one and nothing exists outside of that, except 
the absolute itself, the absolute abstract space, the absolute abstract nothingness, but not space. That's not space as we know it. Space as we know it is the Divine Mother. The voluptuousness, the space, the womb, the galactic, intergalactic, uh, megalocosmic womb into which manifestation itself is born. That's the body of the, of the Divine Mother. That is not my truth or your truth. That is the truth. And so she will come up again here and there in today's uh, discussion. But today's discussion, if you remember a uh, number of weeks ago, now we had a fellow by the name of uh, uh, Richard Valentine was a guest uh, uh, participant, guest speaker um, on, our, uh, on our program. And Richard Valentine spent many years in the correctional um, program in the United Kingdom. And he agreed to uh, come on our program to talk about incarceration and the nature of that and uh, rehabilitation and all of the other factors and elements related to uh, to that aspect of, of life. And it just so happens that um, after listening to our live stream last Sunday, he wasn't able to listen to it live, but he listened to it after the fact. And after the fact, he uh, sent us a an article uh, that it was written in the Buddhist tradition, we believe, Buddhist slash Hindu tradition. And that article uh, was discussing, uh, how did they put it? Near, near misses or near, near lies, something to that, something to that effect. Our memory is horrible and our short-term memory is absolutely shot. It was, but it was related to this notion of what we have discussed many times. Um, how 90, even 99% truth can be fatal. Even 90 or 95 or 99% truth can be twisted and corrupted just by that omission of that tiny little but all important last little bit of information. But it's like the keystone. If you remove the keystone from a bridge, the entire bridge collapses. There could be 10,000 stones in that bridge, but the keystone is what holds it all together. If you remove the keystone, the entire bridge collapses. That's what knowledge is like. That's what the teachings are like. And so this article was basically explaining that or expressing that in a very Buddhist way, filled with all sorts of Buddhist and Hindu terminology, which we're not going to even uh, bother or pretend to know that pretend that we know or to try to regurgitate. But frankly, it's from our perspective, it's 
it's pointless. There's no, there's no reason why you have to understand certain concepts using a language that's thousands of years old. There's no necessary point to that, especially when they have, you know, in Buddhist and Hindu traditions, they have different terminologies for different states of everything. So uh, it's, it's many years of memorization and study to be able to get those terms into your mind, into your intellect. And even then, you're not necessarily ahead of the game. Because do you comprehend what those terms even mean? But the point of the article and was to uh, explain and compare and contrast the difference between objective and subjective knowledge. And they use the, they mention the, the, the phrase, my truth, in the article a few times. And they were coming at it, you know, a certain way, using linguistics, using grammar, and, you know, all sorts of uh, different approaches. Richard sent us this article serendipitously after listening to our lecture on the human condition, which was last week, as you know, human conditioning and people being, you know, forming a rut in their lives and getting stuck in a rut and having that rut solidified, fossilized, if you will. And we, <clears throat> we discussed all of that at length. And I responded to uh, Richard, I said, well, it was serendipitous that you sent us that article, but it won't, the serendipity won't be complete until we discuss the topic of that article on Sunday. Because after, because at full disclosure, we had no topic for today. I had no idea what I was supposed to talk about. And serendipitously, Richard sent us that article. And he intuitively sent us that article based on, as a response to last week's lecture. And intuitively, he sent us that article because we need to take the last few weeks and focus it, bring it to a head and bring it to a fine point and focus it on this term, my truth. Because you hear this term everywhere. This term has become ubiquitous and universal. It is, you will hear people saying this word or telling people to speak their truth or applauding people for standing up and speaking their truth. You will hear it in politics, certainly in woke politics. You will hear it in self-help, of course, in the new age. You will hear it in 
uh, postmodernism. You'll hear it in conspiracy. You will hear it in just everyday parlance. And certainly the younger generations have been completely enamored with it. How important it is for them to be heard, for them to be able to speak their truth, to stand up and be counted, to stand up and be heard, and for their truth to be acknowledged, to be respected, to be regarded, and depending on the, depending on the individual, uh, honored and uh, adhered to, capitulated to, if you will. For many people, their truth is the truth. So, what's why would we? Is what's the problem? What's the problem? People go through life and their truth is their truth. For them, it's the truth. There is no other truth. They live their life from their truth. So what could possibly be the problem with that? If it's true. And herein lies the slipperiness, the subtlety. Herein you can see that law of entropy, the law of confusion, of complication and contradiction, the law of subjectivity. Very often you have heard us say that the Black Lodge their divinely ordained purpose is to twist, tempt, corrupt, and make fall all that is good and pure and of the light. Well, last week, we learned that there's a very easy and simple way to express that and understand that. The Black Lodge is here to condition light to condition truth, to condition consciousness, and to condition human beings. They are responsible for the human condition. And in no uncertain terms, that conditioning includes conditioned love. This is something that came to us. You know, sometimes when we complete a live stream, either minutes later, hours later, or days later, something will come into our mind and we'll go, oh, I should have said that on Sunday. And one of those things was unconditional love. It just came up on Facebook. And um, so I was talking about uh, conditional and unconditional love. And I said, well, why didn't I bring this up on Sunday? Surely, the highest form of love, love, the love that we all aspire to, the love that we all hope 
to receive and to partake in in this life is unconditional love. Perhaps this is why we didn't talk about it last Sunday, because it's perhaps more appropriate for this Sunday, because it's Mother's Day. And what love is more unconditional than the love of a mother for her child? It's the highest form of love. And the love of our Divine Mother for us is the highest expression of that unconditional love. So when we talk about the human condition and we talk about the ego, the Black Lodge, conditioning then unconditional love becomes conditional. This came up during the week when somebody asked the question, how is it that I can say I love you to someone one day and I hate you the next? How does, how does somebody... How does somebody go from that one extreme to the other, like this? And we had to inform them the harsh truth. Now, that individual, they were asking the question, despite the fact that this was their truth, my truth is that I can go from saying I love you one day to I hate you the next. And her truth was, I'm a terrible, horrible person because of it. I must be. And she didn't know how she could do that. She didn't know why she, she could do that. All of this was her truth. But her truth just left her with suffering and questions. She had a perception of something going on. She could perceive herself loving somebody one minute and the next minute hating them. She had that perception. That perception was her truth. It was an experience. She could she felt those emotions. Those emotions, the experience of those emotions were true. She felt love one minute, and then the next moment she felt hate. That was her truth. And then she felt guilty about it. She felt she felt uh, uh, self-conscious and she felt uh, uh, self-deprecating about that. How, what kind of what 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 kind of person does this? Am I schizophrenic? Am I am I am I bipolar? What what what's going on? She couldn't make sense of her truth.
Well, we shed light on her truth with the truth. Someone who loves one minute and hates the next. That so-called love is conditional. It's conditional love. And the love and the hate are two sides of the same coin. So you take a coin and flip it. You 50 chance heads, 50 chance tails. This individual was experienced, the two sides of the coin, as if they were two sides of the ocean or two, two sides of the Grand Canyon, this vast gulf separating the two, right? Love and hate. How can, you, you can't think of two more uh, uh, opposite emotions, two emotions further apart from one another on the spectrum. Love and hate. The only problem is that's we're talking about unconditional love and hate. But if it's conditional love, two sides of the same coin. Practical example. When someone someone you love, someone who's close to you, is uh, doing, behaving in a way which you approve of, which they're doing things which you want them to do, they're satisfying your requirements, your, your needs, your desires, they're obeying you, their words and actions fall into line into the parameters of maintaining your comfort zone. Well, it's easy to love someone. Or it, it is easy to feel like you love someone. But as soon as they step out, as soon as they step over the line, they cross the line, they break a rule. They no longer behave in a way that you want them to. They no longer adhere to whatever image that you have of them in your mind. As soon as they violate you in some way, that is your expectations, but to a narcissistic person, that's a violation. Someone who no longer fulfills my desire is violating me if I'm identified with those desires. You see? And then that's a source of anger. That's a loss of control. That's a disturbance to my comfort and security. I had arranged everything in my little world 
just the way I liked it, just the way I wanted it, including my significant other, whom I love. This is my truth. But then my significant other goes and starts behaving in ways which disrupts my little utopia and my little utopia immediately turns into a dystopian nightmare, at least psychologically for me, because I'm so, I'm so identified with it. I'm so identified with having everything just a certain way as I like it, as I want it. And now the comfort and security, which had been carefully constructed by the ego of fear and everything was organized the way it was because of the because of fear which is also the ego of control control over outcomes and control over other people well that person is now doing their own thing they're no longer in my control and they're disrupting my comfort and security so that fear as we know from master yoda from empire strikes back fear turns to anger anger turns to hate And just look at your own life, right? What, how quickly do we leap to anger when the things that we want to be a certain way don't turn out that way, turn out a different way? I'm guilty of this myself. Yesterday, when I, we had uh, nine people in total, I was making a barbecue for nine people. And as I was, you know, running back and forth doing certain things, and uh, I went and I lifted up the grill and then there's this, this, this Dante's Inferno happening inside of the barbecue and, and I let out an audible, oh shit. <laughs> in that moment, I was, I was shocked, but I was also angry. I was very, I was in that moment angry because I was watching steaks and burgers and everything just literally uh, being turned into carbon before my eyes. So when we lose control, when things get out of control beyond our uh, ability, and people obviously have free will, and people do things that we don't like, all the time. And when they step out of line, oh, infuriate us, make us so angry. And if they step out of line over and over and over and over and over again over a long period of time, well, I hate it when they do that. When they do that one thing, you know, they press your buttons right they there's this there's one thing or two things or 10 things that your significant other does or your brother does or sister or or father or mother or anybody who knows you is very close to you you know that the people that that we love they're the ones who can press our buttons we have these flashing red buttons and then they come and they they push them and it's like a panic button when they do that it just gets on our nerves oh i hate it when he does that
Oh, that's love and hate. Love you one minute, hate you the next. And it's interesting because this little example that happened in the middle of the week as it related to uh, love and conditional love. This individual was living her truth. And her truth was not getting her anywhere. And the reason why her truth wasn't getting her anywhere, because it wasn't true. There were aspects of it that were true. But her conclusion that she's a terrible person, is that, is that a truth? Perhaps we should step back and ask the question, what is truth? I mean, what is truth? Before we can talk about my truth, surely we have to understand what truth is. Here's an example. Azazel says, yeah, fire can make anyone mad. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, getting burned, for example, uh, rarely elicits feelings of joy and compassion and peace. And right. If you touch a hot stove, <laughs> Or, or uh, put your hand in something of boiling water or, or, or get boiling grease splashed up on you or what have you. Uh, generally speaking, uh, fire uh, can have an adverse uh, impact on, on us emotionally, especially anger. That's a kind of universal truth. That's an experiential truth, which is common throughout time since the advent of fire. And just about everybody who's ever, you know, burned themselves, uh, it's not pleasant. And if they did it out of a moment of, you know, unawareness or, or what have you, they can very quickly we get upset with ourselves and frustrated with ourselves. We did something stupid. We, we, we burned ourselves. But the fact that the thing was hot, fire is hot, right? Fire burns. This is, this is true, right? This is a truth. Now, can we talk about yogis who like walk across hot coals and also, you know, there are exceptions to this particular truth. But in general, fire burns. If you apply fire to wood, in general, the wood will burn. If you apply fire to paper, in general, the paper will burn. If you apply fire to water in a pot, 
in general, given enough time, given enough fire, given enough heat, the water will be brought to a boil. These are truths. They're observable. They're universal. They're repeatable. They're objective. They're unconditioned. Individuals can have their own personal experiences of fire. They, individuals can experience that universal truth for themselves, through themselves, through whatever mishaps or accidents, circumstances, whatever. And you could say that in that moment, me burning myself, in that moment, that's, that's my truth. I burnt myself. That's, but it's, it's my experience of the truth that fire burns. What makes it my truth is just me saying so. In that particular case, I burnt myself, you know, picking up a, 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 a hot log out of the bonfire. Or I burnt myself, I accidentally touched the, the barbecue grill or whatever. And you could call that my truth because it's my experience. I touched the hot grill. But it's, it's a truth that you touch the hot grill. The fact that you are involved doesn't make it subjective. Because third-party observers could have observed you touching that hot grill, seen you burn yourself, see the blisters on your hand. Despite the fact that they didn't experience it, they would know that you, your experience of that objective truth was real and true. So why can't we just say that's the truth? Why do we need this modifier? Why do we need to add a condition to the truth? Because that is precisely what the word my applied to truth is. Truth is unconditional. Truth doesn't care. Fire burns. Fire burns doesn't care if you get burned or I get burned, if a forest gets, gets burned, if a stack of papers get burned. The truth doesn't care. Fire burns. It's an unconditional truth. It's an objective truth. So what is the advantage or what is the point or what is the purpose 
of putting a condition on it. It's my truth. I was burned. Or if we observe somebody else, it's her truth, it's his truth, it's their truth. And they got up and they spoke their truth. Boy, how how stunning and brave of them. They stood up and they spoke their truth. And if in the case of them burning their hand, great. Their truth was that they burnt their hand. But guess what? That's not their truth, it's the truth. But why do we have to have this modifier? Why, why, this, why does this modifier exist if we're talking about truth? When we all strive for the unconditional love, like that of our Divine Mother, like that of our birth mother, or the unconditional love, if we can find that in a relationship, in a spouse, when we all strive for that unconditional love, and the uh, the honesty, the truth, which goes along with that unconditional truth, unconditional honesty, unconditional integrity. What is the impetus? What is this need to slap a condition on the truth and call it my truth? Perhaps just asking the question. Mugabu says, it's like listening to ex-lovers who have broken up. Every side have their own perspective. That's why the saying says, there is your side of the story, my side of the story, and there is the truth. So in this comment, Mugabu 22 gives us the reason, the only reason. There is only one reason to slap a condition on the truth. Benjamin says, my truth is like history. His story is very unreliable because it is conditioned by someone, uh, is conditioned by someone or was written by the victors, as they say. Yes. History is written by the victors. That's very true. I know a little bit, little something of that because my given name, my my uh, Christian name, is uh, Attila. It's a Hungarian name, uh, and uh, after Attila the Hun. Now, to Hungarians, Attila the Hun was a great leader, a great ruler, uh, and one who united the uh, the tribes of the Magyar people. 
um, which at that time, well, united the tribes of the Huns, should, shouldn't get my history confused. His great-grandson, Arpat, united the Magyar people. The Magyar people were an offshoot of the Huns, one of the tribes of the Huns. But the uh, Attila united all the tribes of the Huns. And it takes a great leader to do that. Now, historians, because the, the history is written by the Romans, uh, to them, Attila was a barbarian. And the Huns were barbarians. And they were vicious, and they slaughtered villages, and they just, you know, like, they were hell incarnate. To this day, if you look up Attila in a Western dictionary, it says, the scourge of God. The scourge of God. Well, uh, it is very unlikely that the Huns and their definition of Attila and their idea of who Attila was to them uh, got passed down through history to make it into the dictionary. Because I don't know many people who follow a leader that manages to unite all their tribes and creates one of the one of the largest nations and one of the largest nomadic uh, peoples in history. Uh, I don't know those peoples who 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 look upon that leader as uh, the scourge of God. So it's a good bet that that particular definition of Attila and that history of Attila has been passed down to us, the bloodthirsty. Uh, conqueror um, is a uniquely Roman perspective as Benjamin's pointing out here it's it's their story it's the Romans story so my truth is just a version of that but it's a but Rather than it being a negative thing in the, uh, in the eyes of those saying it, to them, it's a, it's a banner. It's a, uh, a rally cry. It's a shout. I'm expressing my truth. This is my truth. And I'm going to say, I'm going to get up and express my truth and say my truth. They take pride in speaking their truth. Whatever we want to say about history and about subjective beliefs and subjective truths and half-truths and narratives, right? Story, his story, her story, this version of history, that version of history. Perhaps it was more... Uh, and perhaps we were naive in saying, well, this version of history is, was, is, 
more reliable than other versions of history because, well, it's the consensus version or the most historians believe it or so on and so forth. And perhaps we were naive, uh, you know, to refer to uh, history as containing any truth. But somewhere along the line, someone decided that, well, if there is no truth, if everything's subjective, if, there's, if there is no official version of history, because it's his story, it's the patriarchy, right? Then we can rewrite history. We can write history however we want it to be. And, and then that'll be our history or her story. That's what the feminists like to call it. But you see, all of this is a, um, comes out of the postmodern uh, critical theory postmodernism. Jacques Derrida, one of the French postmodernists, said that there is no such thing as truth. There is no such thing as objective truth because we can only express truth in language and language is semiotic. Meaning, and he used a French play on words. He used the word différence. Différence in French, which has a double meaning. It's a double entendre. It means both to differ and to defer. So two words derive their meaning by virtue of their difference to one another, black and white, right? What is black? Black in and of itself. What does the, the word means nothing by itself, right? Without the dialectic. And so you have to have the, it's opposite, white. And then you understand, ah, okay, black is the opposite of white. You, you, its meaning is derived from the fact that there's this dialectic. And the word black differs from the word white. And so you can derive the meaning uh, from the difference between black and white, but also through deference. If you just discover the word black, you don't have anything to compare it to. So you don't have that benefit of knowing its opposite. So you don't have difference. So you must defer the meaning to another word. And not only that, even if the other word shows up, white, and you have black and white, and now you have the dialectic, and you can derive the meaning based on that, you describe that meaning, you describe that truth to others, with language. So the truth is deferred across a whole string of words. 
In other words, Derrida said, this is to uh, defer the meaning. So the truth doesn't exist because it's always, the truth is always a question of uh, difference and deference, which in French is this double entendre, différence. This is the great calamity that postmodernism imposed on the world by destroying objective truth, absolute truth. And it was these linguists, Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault primarily, which destroyed the very possibility of objective truth, objective knowledge in the minds of the academics and the intellectuals, especially in the humanities, where, you know, academics and intellectuals in the humanities, they have no mathematics, they have no formulas, they have no experiments. They have nothing, they, they don't have, you know, double blind experiments to show um, objectivity, objective results in the world. All they have are their stories, their texts, their narratives, and their own intellectualization and their own narratives as expressed in language. Now, of course, Michel Foucault added this other layer to the whole problem of uh, linguistics, postmodern linguistics and postmodern theory when he started talking about uh, dominance hierarchies. So that meaning is not only derived from difference, the difference and deference to other words, but also this dominance hierarchy. So that when you put two words together, black and white, it's not as simple. You're not looking at a, uh, a comparison of equals, Michel Foucault said. There is always a subjective bias towards one or the other. Always, Michel Foucault said, always. There is never, ever, ever a, um, a meeting of equals. So uh, masculine and feminine, right? Men and women. Michel Foucault said in, in, the, uh, in the patriarchy, the systemic uh, 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 patriarchal dominance, obviously, men were always superior to women. And he says, if you look back through history and you look back in religion, look, even in the, even in the book of Genesis, it's Eve that causes the fall of man. And everywhere in the Bible, Michel Foucault went through and pointed out how women are always degraded and denigrated, you know, that's the whore of Babylon, and so on and so on and so on and so forth. And he was, because he was reading the Bible literally, he wasn't reading the Bible as an esotericist, not even as a theologian, but as a literary theorist, as a linguist. He's going through the Bible, and he's picking apart the Bible, and he's making grandiose generalizations about the nature of humanity and the nature of truth and the fact that there is no objective truth that all truth is subjective and all truth so-called truth actually exists 
in this uh, this fundamental uh, um, uh, bias, dominance hierarchies, and uh, and preferential bias. Now, you guys didn't come here today for a lesson on postmodernism, but my truth as a phrase as an ideology, as a philosophy, as a way of going through life and a way of individuals thinking about and contextualizing their own experience, my truth has its roots in postmodernism, in critical theory. And critical theory and postmodernism is intimately connected to Marxism and communism. And Marxism and communism is the ultimate end game politically and socially and culturally, it is the end game of the Black Lodge to impose complete and total mechanicity upon humanity. In other words, it is the modus operandi of enslavement of humanity by the Black Lodge. Out there, in the world and we can see that for example in china how following the cultural revolution and you go and look at china today and how they have over a billion people under control under control under surveillance and under very 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 tight uh very very uh draconian laws no democracy they filter the internet coming into the country, they filter all the media, it's all, it's all state media, it's all state-run businesses, it's all one big giant hive-like machine. And yeah, Chinese workforce, very efficient. It's a manufacturing hub of the world, super efficient. The Chinese can build a high-speed railroad right across their country like tens of thousands of kilometers, and they can build it in, in one one-hundredth the time that it takes anybody in the West to build a high-speed rail line. Because they're, the, the people are so efficient. They work just like ants, just like, like termites, just, just completely, just automatically, and they just, you know, everybody, everybody knows their job, and they just, they just do what they're told to do. As Azil says, they'll exchange money for blood. Uh, quite a rigid business plan, if you ask me. Um, China is also one of the largest uh, markets in the world for uh, human organs. 
but uh, we're not here to talk about China necessarily or, 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 or single out China. But it just so happens that, you know, the Cultural Revolution and the, and the communist system, China is a, a case study of that. Now, here in the West, through postmodernism and through the academy and through woke culture, the woke culture wars, they are, through the younger generations, trying to create a revisionist and individualist collectivism, right? It's collectivism, but there's an individualness about it. But another way of saying that is it's egoic. It's narcissistic collectivism. But another way to say that is it's tribalism. It's fierce tribalism. So, whatever group you're identified with, whatever you identify as, you have been taught, you, you will have been indoctrinated to therefore identify with others like you, others who share that particular idiosyncrasy. So you can say, their truth is my truth, and my truth is their truth. Well, that's tribalism. And it's this, you can see how, well, a contemporary example of this is the Netflix series Cleopatra. And I don't know if you're aware of uh, the controversy around this. It's supposedly a documentary series. And in this documentary series, they cast a black woman as Cleopatra. Now, Cleopatra, according to most historians and most historical documents and evidence that we have available to us, Cleo Cleopatra was uh, Macedonian Greek. She was not black, she was Macedonian Greek. But in this modern woke era, you can cast Cleopatra as a black woman, apparently. But this is only one small example. It's just a very high profile example right now with the uh, universality of Netflix and the fact that it's available all, all over the world and the uproar that this has caused. Because imagine what would happen if tomorrow someone made not a film, not a movie, this is not some fictionalized version of Cleopatra, this was a documentary. So what if tomorrow 
someone made a film or a movie or a documentary about Adolf Hitler. And what if they cast a black man in the role? How quickly and how tremendously, how loud would the shouts of protest be from the black community? How dare you cast a black man as history's most evil man, or or at least one of history's most evil men from the 20th century at least? Right? If the tables were turned, right? So if somebody cast a black person in a in a unpleasant uh, way for history, as Azel says, the anime industry is probably a good example. Well, the but but anime. Anime isn't documentary, right? Anime is fantasy. Anime is anime is science fiction, and anime are, are is, is essentially cartoons. So, uh, comic books and cartoons have been taking liberties and uh, and uh, expressing artistic license with history forever. I mean, look at uh, Quentin Tarantino. His movie uh, Inglorious Bastards ends. With them killing Hitler and um, and um, Himmler, I guess. Or uh, when uh, Quentin Tarantino did um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he and using his artistic license, he rewrote history by by in the end of that film, so that he prevented the the Sharon Tate murders from happening. Well. That's a movie, and that's a fantasy. It's a fairy tale. It's a it's it's Quentin Tarantino explicitly playing out his fantasy of that part of history the way he would have hoped, the way he would have wanted it to be. But he's he he's not selling that movie as a documentary, and he's not selling that movie as an accurate portrayal of history, despite the fact. That he was absolutely obsessive about recreating Hollywood Boulevard and recreating the Hollywood of the early 60s. And everything, his attention to detail in that movie to make it so real and so true to life and so true to reality, uh, it's interesting because he has a lot of respect for that. It's just that that one little part of the story, that's his childhood fantasy, that's his hope. He was so upset like so many people were with the, with the Tate murders, that uh, he wanted to rewrite history or just give people the fantasy, what if that hadn't happened? What if, what if you know, just... People like Mel Gibson, for example, when he did Braveheart, he took such liberties with, his, with history, but nobody really seemed to mind. Or at least, not that I can think of, that there was never a real controversy around the uh, the liberties taken with uh, the history of Braveheart, the, the history of William Wallace.
But again, none of these films, these are Hollywood movies. Like so many Hollywood movies, they say, even if it's based on a true story, they will say that this is, um, they will say it's a, uh, it's a dramatization. And that even though certain names and places and events have resemblances to real reality, this is still uh, a piece of entertainment. This is still a work of fantasy. It's a work of fiction. It's a fictionalized version of history. Shakespeare did the same thing with his histories. His histories are based on real people and real events. But nobody talked that way ever in the history of humanity, certainly in the history of English, in the history of the English language. Nobody ever spoke the way they're depicted as speaking in Shakespearean plays. So, artists and playwrights and screenwriters and directors and actors and animators, they are fulfilling what Plato said about the stage. Plato said the stage is a sacred space and you do not put reality you do not put real life on the stage because that is a vulgarity that takes this heightened space, the space of heightened reality, um, and strips away the fantasy and strips away the surrealism and strips away the high art and reduces everything down to the bare bones, vulgar reality. And Plato says, you, you, you don't do that. That's not the, that's the job of the historian. And the historian does not put on plays. A historian is not an artist. And, and acting out reality, uh, some sort of expression of history he says it's vulgar and that's why to this day we have documentaries and we have films and if you want to talk about vulgarity what comes to mind was the scene from gladiator when uh maximus and Juba and the other gladiators first enter the Colosseum. And they have no idea what's going to come at them. But the announcer, right, the promoter and the announcer announces to the crowd that today we are going to relive the, uh, the Battle of Carthage. And Caesar presents to you the barbarian horde. And there's Maximus and Juba and the rest of them. They're, they're all huddled in the, in the middle of the, the Colosseum, right? And they're the, they're the barbarian horde. They're essentially lambs for the slaughter because what comes out of the gates are the legionnaires of Scipio African. And they're, they're riding on chariots with blades on the, on the wheels and everything, right? And what is this? 
Is this art? Is this theater? No. It's the best that the Romans can do to reenact a part of their history, a beloved part of their history, a, a, uh, a cherished and a triumphed aspect of their history, the Battle of Carthage. When the uh, legionnaires of Scipio African defeated the, uh, the, the barbarian hordes of the barbarian ruler Hannibal. This is a great victory for the, from, for the Romans. It's a great part of Roman history. But it's vulgar. It's vulgar. It's a slaughter. It's a massacre. It's just, they put it in the they, they put it they they reenacted in the Colosseum, so 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 the 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 audience can cheer the blood sport and the massacre of these these barbarians, right? It's not, so. This is what Plato was saying hundreds of years earlier about reality versus art, and you don't put reality on the stage because it's vulgar. That's why the belongs in the Colosseum. Now, Plato, the, the, the Greeks didn't have a Colosseum like the Romans did, but there you have it. We have a, a lot of comments here, so let's get through some of them. Um, Mugabe says, I think they do things like that to stir controversy and get views. I don't see any other reason to do that. Actually, uh, if the director of the uh, series said that he did, the, she did that. She did that ex is because, uh, explicitly <clears throat> for political reasons, for woke reasons. And you, you might, you might be right. You might be right that um, that they wanted the you know controversy and get views. But what's happened is that Netflix has had to uh, shut down comments and shut down voting, um, you know, thumbs up and thumbs down on, on review sites because the, uh, the series has been getting review bombed because of the backlash. So if they, if they had done it, you know, for controversy and to get views, then, um, then the, uh, it backfired. That strategy backfired. Benjamin Ochoa says, it sounds like tribalism doesn't adhere to modern science or religion and never will. But tribalism does offer an overall gist of the power structure. It's odd. And as Azil says, it's an unstoppable global degeneracy. And he adds, not saying <clears throat> we never watch these things, but it is easy to observe its effects on humanity. <clears throat> Magabu says, yes, a film is different. Uh, to do a documentary like that is taking things too far. And Magabu says, I see it as uh, creating more division, more tribalism, uh, how much we, uh, we have evolved. Uh, and uh, Benjamin says, oof. Nice one. The reality versus art thing is a good one. Very good point. 
so that point is made by Plato, right, thousands of years ago. And um, and again, that. That's one reason why uh, we don't believe in um, there is a it's a fine line. <clears throat> so for example, you watch a movie like Saving Private Ryan and that first scene on the beach on um, in Normandy, the Normandy beach landing. That scene has such power because of the way it was shot. The camera was always at eye level and it was always handheld and it was like, it put you on the beach in Normandy. The power of the, and every, it was very realistic. And the realism of the scene and putting the audience onto the beach alongside the soldiers and allowing them to see as if through the eyes of a soldier landing on the beaches of Normandy, this is an incredible, visceral, and cathartic experience to be able to live, have, to, not having lived through that, not having experienced that, to give this, this, this um, simulated experience. So there is something to be said for realism in film, in art. However, recently, there was a film released called Sisu. And if we are not mistaken, it's a Finnish movie, if we're not mistaken. And it tells a story of a Finnish uh, soldier, but he's a, he's a miner and he, he finds a, a, a gold and uh, a squad of Nazis come and they, they, you know, they, they do things to him and they, they want to take this, this vein of, of gold that he has discovered. They want to take it for themselves. And the film is nothing but uh, a, a, a grindhouse, ultra-violent um, it's violence pornography is what it is. And it's, it's, it's a grindhouse film and it's ultra, I don't know about realistic, but it's ultra like blood and gore and splattering and people blowing up and, and, and just, I have not watched it. I will not watch it. I've watched the trailer and I, and that's like, it is what Plato would call 
vulgar because it is a grindhouse movie. It's what it's there to do is simulate the most gory, violent, bloody dismemberment and 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 just uh, horrific things that can be done by one human to another human in just for the sheer sake of entertainment. Okay, whereas Saving Private Ryan is very realistic and it's very disturbing and it's very violent. It's not, it's nothing, you know, it, it, it doesn't pull any punches. It's a violent, realistic, and it puts you the camera, but, but the purpose of it is to, is to let young people and Westerners you know, grasp for the first time what their fathers and grandfathers went through on the beaches of Normandy, which no documentary can accomplish and no textbook can accomplish. To put you actually on the beach and make you feel like you're actually there and see the horror and the hell happening around you. And you're like, my God, this was horrific. My God, my grandfather went through this. My grandfather survived this. And right after you watched Saving Private Ryan, if you did have a, a, a family member in the war, you wanted to call them up and thank them for their sacrifice and their courage. Because I never, you know, I just saw this movie. I never, I never had any idea it was that bad. But then you then you go and you 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 see the trailer for Sisu, and you're like, this movie is not it's not about the veterans. It's not about courage. It's not about it's not about the horrors of war and showing people the horrors of war. No, it's about reveling and and glorifying and and wallowing in the most depraved ultraviolence that that people can get away with depicting in a film and it's for pure entertainment purposes and it's totally and completely pointless it is the utmost in vulgarity it is like you said, it is it is uh, 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 violent pornography. Azazel says, "Yeah, oof, finish movies. Yeah, okay. So this maybe is happens to be a thing." He says, uh, "They love to put reality on the screen. Well, you know what? They can have it." They can have it because they're not, they're, it is completely devoid of merit. It is utterly completely devoid of merit. And I can tell you that from watching the trailer and I will go to, to the grave on that objective truth. Now, I bet you there's tons of Finns, just like there's tons of people in fandom in the US. Because I heard about this movie 
from some uh, uh, internet uh, media, uh, what do you call them, uh, influencers, these uh, creatives on YouTube, talking about this movie and raving about this movie. This movie has no merit. I don't care. It might have the greatest cinematography ever in the history of filmmaking. It is vulgar. It is a vulgarity. It might have the greatest directing in the history of cinema. It might have the greatest acting in the history of cinema. It's all for naught. It's all a waste. Look, even the creators of pornography know better than to cast good directors of photography and actors in their porn films because they know that's not what people are interested in. It's, they know it's a vulgarity. Why would we waste money on a vulgarity? Why would, we waste, why would we waste talent on something that is vulgar, on something that has no merit? Now, you might run into pe people who are fans of these types of movies. And they will tell you that, that no, but I like them. No, that has a lot of value. It has this, it has that, and they can rationalize, they can tell you, and they will tell you their truth. Yeah, but that's not my truth. You know, say the truth is it has no it has no objective merit. The truth is it's a it's a it's a it's a vulgar thing. The truth is it's a grindhouse violence, it's violence porn. Oh, but that's not my truth. That's not my truth. So you see, my truth. Is an escape. It allows people to avoid what they don't want to hear, which is the truth. This perspective, this opinion, this belief. Allows people to avoid reality. The real the reality of their opinion conditioned truth is not truth it's a lie conditioned truth is not truth it's hypnosis it's ignorance that's like my knowledge what i know i know what nobody else knows and what i know is exclusive to me and it applies only to me. That's what my truth says. It's I, 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 me, myself, and I. That means you're living in your own little world. That means you're living in fantasy. Benjamin says, if we see these things happening, the global degeneracy, as Azazel mentioned, is because I think there is an elite class trying to divide and conquer us. And the data coming from the sentiments online is what AI uses to uh, analyze us. Uh, Benjamin, whatever the elite are supposedly doing or not doing, they're all useful idiots. Humanity is being divided and conquered inside. Okay, we're being conditioned from within. Our own egos the Black Lodge is the ego, and the Black Lodge is in everybody. So anything that you see 
happening on the outside and you and you tr you're trying to attribute it to the global elite the global elite are just useful idiots of the black lodge and this is what our upcoming book is going to show because Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault right they weren't part of the global elite they're part of the academic elite of the time in France, the postmodernists, they were the elite, but, but they were looked down upon by the traditionalists. They were this fringe, niche fringe group. They weren't getting like crazy funding or whatever from, from on high. It's, but they were being manipulated from within their own egos. The Black Lodge within. The mechanicity. And mechanicity is everywhere. And as we are moving towards tribalism, neo-Marxism, communism, all of these different things that are creating more mechanicity in the mainstream population, and then tribalism and division, the dividing and conquering and the creating of these tribal groups and ratcheting up the tribalism. Why? Because we have, as we, as we have explained before, nature needs humanity, a percentage of humanity to survive, but the percentage of humanity that nature needs to survive has to survive in, in small manageable pockets of population. These are what we call tribes. We literally mean tribes. Tribes in Africa, tribes in Asia, tribes in South America, tribes in, in Central and North America. Tribes, tribalism. Primitive people. People who live a hunter-gatherer lives, who idolize nature and, and idolize their ancestors. People who, who uh, hunters and gatherers have no technology to speak of. They have their, uh, their spirituality is based around shamanism, a spirit worship, nature worship. And they become experts in psychedelic use, plant use. Um, and they exist in little pockets of communities all over the world. And they're all remnants of high civilizations. And they'll tell you that. They will tell you, all of them, all of them, right down to the Hopi and the Navajo and, and all of the uh, Aboriginal people around the world will speak of a ancient history and a high civilization that even contemporary uh, historians don't believe in. And that's why they don't believe the tribes. But the tribes are right. Because their ancestors, some of them, uh, were remnants of those high civilizations. Now, this is not the case for all tribes, but for many of the tribes it is. And just as in the next humanity, after this humanity is destroyed in the Kali Yuga, in the end times, in the apocalypse, there will be remnants, there will be survivors 
pockets of people, pockets of, of, of people who are, for whatever reason they have to, to band together, they will survive and they will become like many of the tri tribal people who will, who will also survive, but they will add to the, um, the primitive peoples around the world. And many of the tribal people, especially in sub-Saharan Africa and elsewhere, the really old, the really ancient tribal people, if they fall into uh, uh, even more into mechanicity and more into devolution, they will become even more savage, even more primitive. Like, for example, there are tribes in South America and elsewhere around the world that practice cannibalism. There are cannibals in the world. Cannibalism is one step down on the downward spiral of devolution. And as we've explained before, when you see chimpanzees and the other great apes, you're looking at former humans from past epochs. Those are pockets of tribes that have survived through several humanities, and they've become more primal, more animal, more tribal, and they've just slowly devolving into what they are now today. Like the, like the uh, lowland gorillas and stuff, uh, wouldn't be, um, they're most likely uh, remnants of um, not the Lemurians, but um, Hyperboreans, the giants. Okay, yeah, so uh, we've cut through those. Yeah, um, Azazel says, yes, uh, movies shouldn't depict war as a, uh, as a John Wick, Wick extension. It's not even reality at that point. Uh, agreed, agreed. And uh, Mugaboo22 says, I can have my opinion, my perspective, but opinion and perspective doesn't equate to truth. Okay, finally, Mugaboo has... Once again, because he, he nailed it at the beginning as well. Now, he, I think he nailed it at the end. Um, these people don't talk about opinions and perspectives and beliefs anymore. They don't have... These, these people don't have opinions and beliefs. New Age people don't have beliefs. The New Age exists because they reacted to belief. They, they rebelled against belief, right? They rebelled against religious dogma and religious belief. The new age exists because it promised truth, true spirituality, right? True connection, true oneness, oneness with everyone and everything, oneness with the universe, right? That's not a belief. That's a truth, right? That's a truth. But when confronted with the harsh reality and the harsh truth that they only believed that they're, they're they only believe that they're one with everything in the universe they're not that yet they're still trapped in ego but no 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 they have my crystals and i have my unicorns and i have my reiki and i have my yoga and blah blah and i feel so one with everything and i was like and so you can't tell so so no 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 this is my truth you see It's like the narcissist. 
telling their partner, I love you one minute and I hate you the next. Because the I love you part is conditional. I love him. I love him. Oh, but he drives me crazy. I hate him so much, but I love him. It's, it's, these people are delusional. And my truth is a magic spell. It's black magic. It's conditioned truth. Twisted, corrupted, co-opted truth. It is just like unconditional love. It's just like the narcissist who goes around believing that they actually love people. And their love is entirely conditional. It's, 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 it is the deepest kind of psychological uh, sleep. It is the most profound and insidious type of, of uh, mind manipulation. Magabu says, I used to, it used to infuriate me when someone would say my truth. I would try to debate them, but now I know it's pointless because their arguments are based on their feelings, emotions. I can't debate emotion. And uh, Azazel says, the entire Black Lodge consists of narcissists. Well, yeah, because narcissists is the I. Pride. Self-love. Self-love above everything else. And... Just coming back, I just want these two uh, uh, thoughts, these two quotes, these two uh, comments to be taken together as one, as Azil and Mugabu here. Because like, like Mugabu, I don't know if I would say I would be infuriated, but it would certainly... Um, There is something insidious about my truth. There is something evil about it. There, there, it's, it's not passive. It's not, it's, it's passive aggressive is what it is. It's, it's not an innocuous thing that, oh yeah, their truth, you know, let them have their truth, let them have their, oh, it's just their opinion, it's just their whatever, you know. No, no, my truth is, is, is active. It's proactive. It, it's not passive and it's not uh, uh, innocent. My truth is not naive. My truth knows exactly what it's doing. It is imposing uh, ignorance at, and it's, it's championing ignorance. It's championing hypnosis. It's championing delusion. It is championing. It is what what Jacques Derrida said about language, about difference, and about there is no objective truth. So, if there is no objective truth, then let us celebrate that all truth is subjective. And if all truth is subjective, and as Foucault pointed out that it's all based on an internal bias that we all have, then the logical outcome is that everybody should have their own truth. 
everybody should have their own truth. And they should step out and raise their fist and pump their fist in the air and demand their truth be heard and demand that their truth be respected and demand that their truth be obliged to. My truth is the basis of my entitlement. I am entitled to my truth. Now you look at how all of this ties in with technology and you look at TikTok and selfies and Twitter and Facebook and all about getting likes and getting the the dopamine hit of uh you know the, the this 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 false mechanical interaction have have you ever responded to someone someone posting a meme or whatever have you ever responded to them and saying yeah you know what there's a problem with the meme you just posted it's not true and then they completely lose their mind and they start attacking you, say, you can say whatever you want on your wall, but on my Facebook, this is my truth. I have the right to express my truth and get the hell out of the comment section of my page. And I'm like, okay. And you just look at the way people rip each other apart in online forums and on Twitter and whatnot. Everybody is just expressing their truth. And if someone happens to express the truth, they're mobbed or they're canceled. They're like piled upon, like uh, yeah, like um, you know, like in the cartoons in a football match where they're just getting tackled and piled upon and piled upon and piled upon, or they get canceled. They get outright canceled because nothing is more dangerous to everyone's my truth than the truth because the truth reveals how all those people are living a lie and all those people are living a delusion. They're all living a fantasy world. Azazel says, it's controversial to say or realize, but it is true. That's why they react strongly when faced with the truth. Yes, exactly. And uh, Benjamin says, the Black Lodge is always hiding in us. We won't find it anywhere with my or our truth. Actually, if we observe our, our truth, we can observe our truth. And if we listen to ourselves speaking my truth, and if uh, a third person or we are confronted with the truth and we compare my truth with, with the truth, if we reflect on ourselves, if we do the work, then actually my truth can reveal a great deal to us about what egos are inside of us concocting and creating that delusion, that fantasy for us that we call my truth. So for example, uh, this week that we started talking earlier about that, uh, that individual who was talking about, I love him one day and I hate him the next. What the hell's going on? I must be a terrible person. That was all my truth. And based on everything that she said and based on the other things and behaviors on, on, on Facebook, we were able to message her directly and say, look, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. You asked, we're giving you the answer.
and um, so until that moment, she had not even considered fear as the culprit because that wasn't part of her experience. She wasn't experiencing fear. She was experiencing two completely different emotions, love and hate. There was no fear. So how the hell, how, how, you know, that's why self-observation is so important and penetrating with meditation past the surface is so important when we're observing ourselves because if we just stay on the surface level should be ch- we, we're, we're chasing uh the the wrong rabbits down the wrong holes benjamin says it appears my truth or subjective truth or having it this mindset is easily propagated through indoctrinate indoctrinating children uh transgenderism because you can assume any gender they want without looking at the truth about them you see there's a very good example Okay, there's a very good example of my truth. Okay, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a woman trapped in a man's body. Or, but, but a, child, a child saying, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a boy, I'm a girl. And clearly they're not. Clearly they are what they are. Now they might be experiencing um, gender dysphoria. But again, as Benjamin is pointing out here, my truth is like a mantra. It's like a catch-all. It's like a, it's a magic spell. It's it's a it's a get out of jail free card. It's a silver bullet. It's a magic pill. It's all of these things for the Black Lodge to create chaos, to create suffering, to sow discontent, to sow division. But most importantly, most importantly, to to get individuals and groups and tribes living complete and total utter fantasies living complete and total utter delusions where there is no objective reality anymore my truth is like the ultimate religion of postmodernism my truth is is postmodernism distilled down into if if in the uh, enlightenment and the height of the Enlightenment values in the 17th, 18th century was um, the expression Descartes and, uh, and the meritocracy and the power of the individual, and the power of the individual soul, uh, individual human being. Uh, Descartes, if that mantra was, I think, therefore I am, which was already bad enough, was one of the reasons that the so-called enlightenment ended with um, what uh, Nietzsche called uh, the death of God, right? Nietzsche, when Nietzsche declared God is dead, Nietzsche was declaring God is dead because of what Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Well, the statement, I think, therefore I am, essentially makes everybody their own God, their own creator of reality. And Nietzsche said, in in light of such a worldview, in light of such a mindset, in such a philosophy, 
God is dead. There's no room for God in the statement, I think, therefore I am. Now, that is in the Enlightenment, 17th, 18th, you know, early, uh, sorry, uh, 17th, 18th, 19th century, early 20th century. Now, early 20, 21st century, it's my truth. Now, there is no, forget about no room for God. There's no room for anybody else. There's no reality other than my own. It's like, I think, therefore I am. And, and that I think, therefore I am. That I is, is the arbiter of what is truth. And what is true is my truth. And all opinion, all belief, all conjecture, all theory can now be poured into this one-size-fits-all magical uh, genie bottle labeled my truth. And it's just like that, a magical genie. It's a magic spell. It's a magic word. And it's a catch-all. And anytime anybody confronts you about anything, about the falsehood, about the delusion, the delusional existence you're, you are um, living, but the delusional beliefs you have, and the contrary and, and uh, uh, conflicting and, and chaos-inducing opinions, etc., etc., you can say, don't tread on me, I'm living my truth. So my truth is a defense mechanism. Remember I said, we, my truth is not passive. My truth knows exactly what it's doing. So when Azazel says, I don't mind them shouting my truth, they have a better weapon called beat them. I have a better, uh, they have a better weapon called beat them with knowledge. And he says, well, it's probably a part of their truth, but still. Uh, when they're shouting my truth, what they're doing, their egos are attacking. It's a preemptive strike. The best defense is a good offense. So my truth is as a spiked shield. It's a spiked armor. If you can imagine a battle tank covered in, covered in swords and spikes. It's, it's armor, it's a shield, but it's spiked armor. It's a spiked shield. So I can go running into battle. And, and if the forces of truth are stacked against me, I can, go, I can go marching into battle covered in this spiked armor, feeling comfortable and secure in my truth. And it's prickly and it's poison tipped. And it's and nobody can come close and and penetrate my armor of my truth because it's mine. And anything that anybody says to me about what is the truth, that's your truth. That's your truth. Don't 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 tell me what my truth is. I know my truth. And who are you? You have no right to tell me my truth. 
and or you have no right to force your truth upon me so this is not passive this is passive aggressive and as azil was saying earlier about um uh, the entire Black Lodge consists of narcissists. Well, passive aggression is the modus operandi of the narcissist. The best defense is a good offense. And the toxicity of narcissistic people, right? So, um, uh, narcissistic sociopaths is precisely this. They're constantly irradiating and they're and they're gaslighting people. It's it's if there is a reason why uh, <clears throat> Mugaboo and others, it's a re- if there is a reason why this whole idea of my truth infuriated you. This is why. Because my truth is an assault. It's an assault on the truth. In the same way that unconditional love is an assault on love. You know how the woke people like to uh, talk about violence and how language is violence and opinions are violence? They believe that. They believe that. So to them, the truth is violence. So what do you do? You fight fire with fire. So if somebody comes at you with the truth, what better way to fight fire with fire and come to loggerheads, right? And come to butt heads with. And if someone's coming in with it, coming in with the truth, you match them with my truth. My truth is the ultimate expression of the great awakening of humanity. My truth is millennials and Gen Z, entire generations, walling themselves up, right? But Inside the walls of Jericho. Walling themselves up against the the attacking hordes, the barbarians outside. It's like so many people, it's like the cocooning instinct of, of the primal cocooning instinct of a mammal or, or any animal that, 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 you know, it creates its, its den or its nest. It's going to cocoon. Look at, look at all of the, uh, all of these uh, young people who have grown up in suburbia in suburban households that have become ever more insular. When I grew up, I was allowed, you know, my, my mom would feed me breakfast and maybe uh, 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 after lunch, she'd throw me out of the house, say, go play and come back when the, uh, when the, uh, the street lights come on. Come home for dinner when the sun goes down. When the street lights when the street lights come on, come home. And that's not that's not an exclusive experience for me. That's the experience for 
millions upon hundreds of millions of other people <clears throat> who grew up in my generation and prior generations. But millennials and Gen Z, they, they're not even allowed to go outside the house. They're not even allowed to go down the street or go, go to the park without parental supervision. They might be able to play in the driveway or play in the backyard, but that's it. And then their entire life, their entire existence has been through social media and, and the internet. And so this is this insular cocooning that has been taking place socially, psychologically, culturally. And any interactions they have had have been mechanical. Mechanical like mechanical nature, egotistical. Emotional, hyper-emotional, action-reaction. Look at the interactions on Twitter. Look at the interactions on Facebook in any in any um, uh, discussion group. The ad hominem attacks. Attack, retaliation. Attack, retaliation. It's counterattack, retaliation, and so on and so forth. Just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth like dogs barking at each other through a fence. And this my truth is arming these generations of young people against the truth. It's making them, it's making them uh, immune to the truth. Mugabu says, if as a grown man, I am sexually attracted to an eight-year-old child, my truth might be, I love this girl. But the truth is, I am mentally sick. My egos have gotten the best of me. Well, see, that's another very good example that you know, the, L the LGBTQ plus community, they want to add a P. They want to add a P. To those letters because everybody who's on that LGBTQ T uh, list they all have my truth they all have their truth so now the peas the pedos right the peas they're coming up and, and just like Mugabu says here they're standing up now they're pumping their fist and they're pronouncing their truth just as mugaboo suggests and you see the lgbtq plus people they're immune to the truth they're immune to the truths about biology about gender and about that gender is not a construct. It is not a construct. It is very, it is fundamental. And, but they're immune to that truth. They're immune to biology. They're immune to these immutable facts of nature and immutable objective facts of reality. Now think about that. Immutable. Do you know what the word immutable means? means cannot be silenced. 
mute means silenced. Immutable means can be silenced. Immutable means cannot be silenced. So the immutable facts, objective facts, the truth, they're fundamentally immutable. So what's the answer? For the Black Lodge, for those who want to live in their lie, you shout them down. You shout down. If it's immutable truth, immutable truth, truth that can't be silenced, you shout louder. You make more noise. And you shout down the truth. And you can see this. Watch videos of Jordan Peterson trying to speak at universities or any right-wing uh, pundit, uh, Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Tucker Carlson, uh, and many others who have tried to attend universities and give talks at universities, and you watch the woke leftists banging on the banging on the uh, the windows and and coming into the um, auditorium and making noise and shouting down the speaker and right they can't they can't stop Jordan Peterson from speaking they can't shut him up they can't turn him into a mute but they can scream their truth right they can yell and rally and and do all this stuff like screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming their truth my truth my truth my truth my truth and you have hundreds of people yelling and screaming their truth while one guy trying to speak the truth he gets drowned out he gets shouted down and his voice gets lost under, under the cacophony of my truth. Now, as above, so below. As within, so without. Where is your intuition? How loud is the voice of your innermost being compared with the cacophony in your own mind. That's all, every, everything we we're just discussing out there in the world, it's all here. It's all here. You just look at yourself, observe your own mind. Observe all those voices, competing voices and ideas and opinions and beliefs and blah, blah, blah. And it's all churning around in your head, the cacophony in your own head. And where's the intuition in that? How loud is the voice of your innermost being compared to the voices in your head? Now you know why my truth is the mantra and the magic spell of the Black Lodge and the great awakening of humanity. Because everybody who's out there pumping their fist and yelling my truth, 
and they're shouting down the truth out there and they're using my truth as a defense mechanism to shield themselves and make them immune because it's happening in here. It's happening in here. They can't hear their own innermost, innermost being. They can't hear their own intuition because if they're out in the world shouting and screaming my truth, then just imagine what's going on in here. And if the truth is immutable, remember? Immutable? They want to be immune to it. Immunity and immutable. There's the same root words in there. This is science, people. This is metaphysical science. This is magic. Richard Valentine, the article that he sent us to, had all kinds of, you know, grammar and all sorts of terms and everything else. It's it's wonderful, great. It's it's a, it's an admirable, it's an admirable and valuable article and we left it where we found it. Because my truth and what we're talking about here is magic. It's psychological manipulation, it is conditioning of the consciousness and programming, neurolinguistic programming of the mind. We don't have to get into all kinds of grammar and all sorts of nonsense and everything on this and that and the other thing and so on. Simple. Keep it simple. The most diabolical and sinister and powerful and insidious of tactics are the ones which cut to the heart, which cut to the bone. They are the simple ones. They're so hard to spot, but when you spot them and when you do as we have done and unpack them and an explosion of reality comes out of it. It's the same way that your own egos convince you and rationalize and they can rationalize every sin under the sun and they can rationalize every crime of humanity can be rationalized by your own egos inside your own mind no you deserve it you this that no no you know what that doesn't apply to you and maybe your mind doesn't use it's the words my truth but you may might have said things like well what's good for me might not be good for them or some other version of that but it's still all of this garbage going around this cacophony spinning around in your mind this this hurly burly i love that the expression shakespeare came up with this hurly burly that's going on in the mind it's just it's your truth that's all that's your truth and then somewhere is the still soft voice somewhere is the pineal gland the pituitary gland the third eye Somewhere in that cacophony is the truth. And the truth is trying to, you know, is trying to be heard. It's immutable. It's immutable. And that's why we practice and, and all the uh, um, 
the ancient esoteric practices, meditation and the quieting of the mind and so on and so forth. Because if you can, right, if you can quiet all the my truth, then all of a sudden the immutable truth can be heard again and seen again, right? That's the whole point. Couple more um, comments here. Magabu says, I think soon it won't be permitted to speak freely and criticize their truth. Well, you can't all you you can't criticize their truth already. I forget about that. Because if you try to criticize their truth openly, publicly, then you will be branded a bigot, a racist, a misogynist, uh, you name it. You name it. They'll they'll immediately brand you as uh, the opposite group, the opposite tribe. And then they will paint you and gaslight you and make you out to be the villain just because you're pointing out to them how their truth is objectively incorrect or it's problematic or it's enslaving them or keeping them, trapping them or whatever. It's a, it's a, it's going to be a very, 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 um, even, even writing this book and the things that we have to say in this book it's going to be tremendously problematic for them. It's, it's going to be an assault and they're going to defend themselves and the best defense is a good offense. So yeah, it won't, yeah. So forget about, this is going to be um, outlawed. Uh, and this is what cancellation is, by the way, when people become canceled, if you've heard that term before. As Azul says, yes, but what about second breakfast? we too are guilty of these things. Well, yeah, but we all have a busy mind, yes? And uh, as Azil says, I realize this is this as the reason why I intuitively needed to meditate upon the revelation of Beelzebub. It was annoying, but true. We stand directly under the sword. Benjamin says, this my truth mindset was described in the scripture as follows. The coming of the lawless one will be accompanied by working of Satan with every kind of power, sign, and false wonder, and with every wicked deception directed against those who are perishing, because they refuse the love of the truth that would have saved them. For this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they believe the lie. That's from Thessalonians. Thank you, Benjamin. As always, we can count on Benjamin to reach into his personal uh, directory, his personal card catalog of quotations from the Bible. And again, he's found a great one. It's very apropos. And, um, and I think it absolutely captures the essence and spirit of this mind-truth mindset. Because Satan, Shaitan, the adversary, the false self, through my truth, puts itself what, what Satan always wants to do, right? Be God. It wants to play God. Satan wants to depose God and usurp the throne. And again, no better, no better way to do that than to shout down the truth with my truth. And then for this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they believe the lie.
Well, again, Benjamin, I think we're going to have to um, steal that, uh, that quote for our book. Mugaboo says, yes, we identify more with our egos than our innermost. This is true. And again, by identifying more with our egos than our innermost, what are, we, what are we doing? We're living my truth, right? That's my truth. I am who I am. I am this mortal vessel. And then I have my innermost being, right? My, my higher self. My, you know, people who talk about higher self, we don't, we don't like to use the word higher self. We like to use the word true self. Innermost being, the being in human being. Precisely for that reason that that identification with the false self as being primary, oh, and then secondary, oh yeah, well, of course I have a higher self, and now yeah, he's he's off in the higher dimensions, you know, doing whatever. <clears throat> but I'm the one that matters. That's my truth, right? That's where that that's where that whole my truth comes from. That narcissistic. It's it's um, in in the new age and in esoteric circles. It's mystic pride. Mystic pride is one of the things that fuels my truth. So a lot of people, a lot of people, practice black magic and black tantra, and they believe that they, because they're good people, I'm I'm good people, and they believe that they're ascending. They believe that they're they're on the right path. They're performing black magic, but you try to you try to explain them, you try to tell them the truth, and they're like, no, no, that's your truth. That's not my truth. That's your truth. That's not my truth. And you see, it's such a powerful get out of jail free card. No matter what, it's exactly as the the quote that Benjamin shared with us. Um, <clears throat> the coming of the lawless one will be accompanied by the working of Satan with every kind of power, sign, and false wonder and with every wicked deception directed against those who are perishing, because they're perishing, because they refuse the love of the truth that would have saved them. They refuse the love of the truth that would have saved them. And for this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they believe a lie. <clears throat> now let's... Let's focus for a moment on that expression. Just on that expression. Okay? Just uh just on these th this part of that quotation. What did we say about unconditional love? Unconditional love is unconditional. Meaning, in this, meaning, doesn't matter what the other person does or says or is, or you love them unconditionally, regardless of circumstances, regardless of outcomes. You apply that to the truth, 
It doesn't matter what, doesn't matter if the truth hurts. Doesn't matter if the truth hurts your feelings. It doesn't matter if it upsets you. It doesn't matter if it, 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 it flies in the face of your desires and it undercuts your beliefs. We must love the truth unconditionally, regardless of what the truth says. So, my truth, the love of my truth, is the narcissist's conditional love. It's not unconditional love, it's conditional love of truth. But you can't have conditional love. You, you love the truth so long as it aligns with my ego, it aligns with my desires. It doesn't hurt me, it doesn't upset me. It fits in my comfort and security. In other words, exactly as we, at the beginning, when we were describing that, that case study, that scenario <clears throat> of that woman this week, when she asked, how can I love somebody one day and hate them the next? This, 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 these, these five words, the love of the truth, reveal the exact same mechanism is taking place in the phenomenon of my truth. Why? Because I love the truth one day and I hate the truth the next. I love the truth when it's when it fits into my worldview and what I want, right? And my my comfort and security. Just like somebody talking about their spouse, and their un their or their partner, their the un the the conditional love they have for their partner. I love you when you do A B C X Y Z. When you obey, and then when you step out of line. And when you don't do that, right, I hate you. And this is exactly what my truth allows these people to do in relationship to the truth. They love the truth when it's my truth, when they when they 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 pick, they cherry pick what belongs in their truth that they love that makes them gives them the warm and fuzzies. Gives them comfort, that gives them that feeling of comfort and security. And they, it makes them feel spiritual and makes them feel powerful or makes them feel successful or it makes them feel important or it makes them feel whatever. That's what they love. That's the truth they love. That's their truth. Oh, but I'm, but if it doesn't do that, if it doesn't feed their narcissism, narcissism, if it doesn't feed their mystic pride, if it doesn't feed their fear, their need to control, their need to control outcomes, their need to control circumstances, their need to control other people, if it doesn't serve all of that, if it doesn't serve their ego, well, they hate the truth. Plato also said, no man is more hated than he who speaks the truth. Now, why would Plato say something like that? Because Plato's 
mentor was Socrates. And Socrates was murdered by the citizens of Athens for speaking the truth. The truth that they didn't want to hear. But Plato said, we have two quotes from Plato today, both of which are apropos and completely relevant. And, and, and um, just imagine 500 years before Christ, people were already dealing with this. Plato was already suffering this. And Socrates suffered it in the, in, in the, you know, in the worst way you can suffer people's ignorance and their, their hatred of the truth. So this is nothing new. It's just that, it's just that my truth is so flagrant and in your face. It's the Black Lodge trolling us. It's the Black Lodge rubbing our, our nose in it as Gnostics. We who love the truth more than perhaps anyone else. We who have devoted our lives to the truth and devoted our lives to sharing the truth and helping others to reach the pinnacles of truth, the, the, the Mount, the, the climb, the Mount Olympus of truth. We Gnostics are, are and, and, and those who are a part of the army of world salvation. It says, as Azil says, it is the divine mother itself because objective reality is her body, is her beingness and all of her sacrifice and all of her her gifts and boons and, and, and her energy, everything that she gives to us as reality. That's what the truth is. So the love of the Divine Mother is the love of the truth. That's why the book is called Pista Sophia. Sophia is wisdom. Wisdom comes through experience. Wisdom comes through living. Sophia is the wisdom of the Divine Mother. It's what she it's the embodiment of all of her beingness and all that's why the Akashic records in the fifth dimension are a record of everything which has taken place anywhere in the universe. It's been recorded in the collective memory of the divine feminine, of the Akash, which is the body of the Divine Mother. That is Sophia. The wisdom which is born from that body and all of the interactions and all of the uh, uh, transformations of energy <clears throat> and all of the transmutations of one form to another and one form of energy to another into matter and energy and that all of those interrelations and interconnections uh, and all of those interactions taking place within the Divine Mother and all of the wisdom which is born out of all of that activity. And that is all the, the truth. And to love that is to be, to be in that. 
to be or not to be. To be is to be one with all of that, to be one with our Divine Mother and to be one with the knowledge and wisdom born of all of those interactions and transactions and transformations. This is what it means to truly be one with all things. One cannot be one with all things if one is not constantly in remembrance and and in in connection with one's own divine mother. This is what, but but the uh, but the but people's my truth, the new agers' truth, their truth, is. Oh, they just have to believe that they're one with everything in the universe and they're one with the gods and they're God already in there. That's it. That's done. That's my truth. Do they even, they didn't even know their own innermost being? Do they even know their divine mother? Can they speak to her? Can they receive messages from her? Do they know how to do that? Oh, they talk about receiving messages from the, the universe. Oh, and getting serendipities and this and that and the other thing. And it's all, you know, it's all glossed over and it's all very vague and so on and so forth. Why? Because my truth, again, they're cherry picking what makes them feel comfortable and powerful and spiritual. And what doesn't stays on the cutting room floor. And that's, they hate that. That's, that's, they, people hate what isn't their truth. And what isn't my truth is the truth. And that's why people hate the truth. And that's why Plato said that 500 years before Christ. It, it's, it's all, it's all that connected and it's all that simple, really. And as it says, nobody wants to be confronted by the mother that they love. Nobody wants to be confronted by the mother that they love. That's interesting, you know, because <clears throat> the thing about unconditional love and the unconditional love of a mother is severity and mercy. Those are the two pillars, Jacqueline and Boaz. And um, one of the things that these people, like, they don't want severity. Like, they were raised bubble-wrapped children. And they were raised with, uh, without any real discipline and without any real correction. And it says, as Azil says here, we do not care to admit that we might have stepped out of line. So it's more comfortable to reject the truth altogether. So again, it's not that they're rejecting the truth altogether. It's that they cherry pick and they modify, right? They condition the truth. So it's like the unconditional love of a mother is unconditional. It means it must have both severity and mercy in balanced measure applied unconditionally with infinite wisdom. That's what love is. But that means being severe on the child. Well, these children weren't raised with any severity. Nobody was ever, nobody was ever severe with them. And so they haven't been acclimatized to that. And they demand and they feel entitled and they demand that nobody treat them that way. They only want mercy. They only want compassion. They only want to be taken care of. They only want um, uh, uh, people to uh, acquiesce to their desires in the moment, whatever they want, when they want it, 
and I want it now. That's what love is. You don't give me what I want, when I want, how much I want, and exactly what I want, when I want it? Well, then you must not love me. And I won't, and I don't love you. Well, that's conditional love. But they don't see it that way. Their truth is just that they they love and they love what they love. And they hate anything else. They hate severity. And it really is that that it's like uh, Veruca Salt. And I don't mean the band. I mean the uh, the girl from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, after which the band uh, took their name. But Veruca Salt, <clears throat> that character, <clears throat> she's the spoiled brat. She's the millionaire's daughter. <clears throat> and... Um, <clears throat> Well, there it is. I mean, we're not going to get into the whole Charlie and the Chocolate Factory thing. You can read the book on your own or watch the movie. Watch the, don't watch the, for God's sakes, don't watch the um, uh, Johnny Depp version that Disney made a few years back. It's, it's horrendous. Watch the one from the 70s with Gene Wilder, uh, the, char the, the, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Watch that one. And uh, Veruca Salt. <clears throat> She's the one that, uh, I want it now, daddy. She's that character. And then when they get in the, char uh, the chocolate factory and they have the uh, squirrels that are opening up the nuts for the chocolate bars. And she goes, oh, I want a magic squirrel, daddy. I want a magic squirrel. I want it now, daddy. And then uh, Charlie, uh, um, uh, sorry, Willy Wonka refuses to uh, to sell uh, Veruca Salt's uh, father, uh, a trained squirrel. So anyway, mayhem ensues. <clears throat> Benjamin says, the scariest thing is that people who indulge in the my truth mindset will have to pay someday with interest because they borrow spiritual currency by living outside of truth, similar to living beyond your means. It is better to stay inside the arc of truth and be saved on the day of judgment. That's well said. When we live in fantasy, when we live in delusion. Interestingly enough, Benjamin, have you ever noticed that the word deluge, referring to the great flood, and those who are lost in the deluge, Right, which the 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 great flood is the is the deluge, and it wipes the earth clean of all the deluded ones. The deluge and the and and the deluded. Anyway, there's there's something interesting between those two words: to be living in delusion, and then be suffering the uh, the 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 deluge. Yeah, he says, yes, it's like the Great Reset. Um, it's, 
But when you mention the ark, there's two arks in the Bible. There's the the uh, the ark of the Israelites, right? The ark of the covenant, and then there's the ark of Noah. And um, and we will pull up this. Uh, uh, well, if we can, we'll pull up this meme which we've showed you before, just because. For us, anyway, it's such a, a, a meaningful. There, it's such a meaningful graphic, uh, and of course, the you know the Far Side cartoon is one thing, but um, here we have a tree of life, and when you superimpose the Ark of the Covenant, the angels. Uh, touching their wings, they re represents the upper trinity of the tree of life, Keter Hokmabina, and the Ark of the Covenant is this box, right? Is this square between Hokmah, Bina, Gebura, and Chesed. And in the middle is Da'at, Gnosis. And when you overlay Noah's Ark, then the monad is obviously... A boat, right? It's it's an inverted uh, triangle, and it's Chesed Gebura Tiperef, and then, but the Ark of Noah has the uh, the house on it, right? So this again, a box in a boat, and that box is Hokma Bina Gebura Chesed, and in the middle is Daat. So it doesn't matter if you're talking about the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Noah. It's just the Ark of the Covenant has the angels. So the, the, the knowledge, the, the law, comes from above. And the Ark of Noah, the vessel, right, is the monad. And then it carries the law in it, da'at above it but the monad is the divine vessel the uh the chesed the innermost a gebura our uh, consciousness the divine soul and tipareth the causal body in the human soul this is this is our monad This is so important, this the relationship between these symbols and the tree of life, because we are in the end times. We are in the end times of this humanity. We must not only just comp we must not only comprehend this and understand this, we must embody this within ourselves. And so this is the significance of Benjamin's comment here in relationship to the Bible of being outside the ark, being outside of the truth. And anybody in my truth is outside of the truth. Anybody who adheres and sticks to the my truth mindset, they do not have a place on the ark. They do not have a place in the Atlas Project. They have to abandon my truth for the truth. This is what Gnosis is all about. 
because it because call it belief, dogma, opinion, theory, whatever you want to call it, the machinations in your mind, the cacophony in your mind has to be replaced by the intuition, by da'at. And you must surrender to that. You must give yourself to that if you hope to have a place on the ark. It's that simple. You're either in the ark or you're, or you're not. You're outside of it. To be or not to be, that is the question. To be in the ark or to be deluded. And the deluded ones are wiped away in the deluge. Period. To be or not to be, that is the question. The great catastrophe, the great calamity is coming. And there is no room in the ark for my truth because in the ark is da'at, Gnosis in the ark goes the truth, the law, which is written in it's it's written in stone, the stone tablets. And what goes in Noah's ark? The the reality, the 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 children of the divine mother, Sophia, wisdom, and the biology, right? The 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 masculine and feminine. Of, of each of those species, of all the different animals. All those animals that Noah's saving in the ark, that's all representative of the Divine Mother, of, of objective reality. Objective reality goes in the ark. Objective reality belongs in our monad. Our, our divine vessel is a vessel of objective reality, of the Divine Mother's body and soul and, and, and the children of our Divine Mother which is wisdom. And let's not forget the dove and the olive branch. The dove, which is the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and the olive branch, which is the symbol of peace. This is metaphysical science. This is not opinion, this is not conjecture, this is not interpretation. These are just symbols and allegories that we use to be able to understand in our limited rational monkey mind the work that needs to be done. And that work is objective, that work is scientific, it is hard work, it takes time, it takes effort, and it, and it requires surrender. It requires our loyalty. It requires surrender to the truth. And that means abandoning all notions and concepts and beliefs. And, and most of all, it means uh, exorcising the my truth from our lives, exorcising that demonic mindset, and those demonic voices, and the placards, and the and the uh, and everything else, 
that goes along with that. And the and the uh, the mystic pride. <clears throat> and again, everything that goes along with that. No, 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 no. We want to show you one thing before we go. Uh, listen, Magabu says, it's funny, rainbow in French is arc, arc en ciel, literally arch in the sky, a great symbol. The arc and the, yeah, the arc and the arch are related. Here's a... Um, Oops, no, wait, wait a second. There we go. This, of course, is a, um, a Tory gate, a, uh, uh, a gate to a uh, uh, Buddhist shrine in Japan. And um, if you notice, we've shown you this before, if you notice, this is two T's side by side. Right? That's why there's two T's in Atlas. But it's it's also an arch. It's the uh, strongest form in nature and in architecture, the arch. That's why it's, it's very hard to crush an egg if you hold an egg. Um, if you hold an egg and try to like crush it simultaneously, it's 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 all but impossible because of the it's the perfect shape. It's because it's all arches. It's all just one continuous arch. There is something we want to uh, show you in the context of today's talk. Does anybody have any uh, questions or comments? Feel free to... Um... Oh, you guys don't need to be watch me scrolling through all this stuff. We have accumulated so many like graphics that we've used throughout the years um, uh, in our um, in our memes and our posts and videos and so on. So sometimes finding finding the image that we're looking for is uh, can be challenging sometimes because we have to go scrolling through so many. But. Um, Anyway, we've we've more or less reached the end of today's uh, stream. So now would be the time to um, share any questions or comments. Or let's see if we can find this uh, this thing that we were looking for. I wonder if we're even looking in the right directory. Well, perhaps we won't be able to. Uh... 
As <laughs> uh, Azza says, no, uh, no questions. Have a nice time zone. Okay. <laughs> By the way, to uh, for all of you, for all your mothers um, out there, and um, for everyone's mother, we want to wish everyone a very happy Mother's Day. Ah, we hope that uh, if you were able to spend time with your mother, then then do so. And remember to also um, remember your divine mother on this day. We, uh, there was a particular image we wanted to show you. We couldn't find it on the computer, but we know where it is online. So we're just going to scroll through there. Uh, is that it? No, no, that's not it. There it is. Okay. This is the image we wanted to show you. This is this isn't this is the image. This is my truth. Okay. This is this is my truth. Right here. This is the epitome. This is if this is my truth in a in a in an image in a visual. <clears throat> Benjamin says, "Thank you so much for elaborating on the magic word, my truth, that the Black Lodge uses against us. It is really a perilous time that we're living in. Happy Divine Mother's Day to everyone. Thank you, uh, Benjamin, and thank you for the quote because I think that." Um, the quote that you shared here from Thessalonians, uh, number one, I think it's bang on. It's, it's again, it's, it's, it's prophecy, right? And for this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they believe the lie. And, and it's interesting because, you know, the delusion and the deluded and the deluge are all, um, are all related. But it was that, it was those these words the love of the truth that they refuse the love of the truth and god will send them all these delusions so that they believe the lie like like this lie that these women painted on their bodies this th this is their truth this is their truth can you think of anything more vulgar? But there it is. Okay. Thank you all for uh, 
spending the time with us today. Um, this phenomenon, as we said, was born of the critical race theory, critical theory, postmodernism. And it's the ultimate, it's the end game. It's the ultimate expression of that, of the of Derrida and Foucault's assertions. And you see, communism and Marxism is all about equity and um, uh, equality of outcomes. And reducing everyone to this baseline and if they can reduce truth and make truth subjective and make truth individual. So everybody has their own my truth. Well, that means everybody is down and again, reduced to this, you know, and now they're introducing AI. And as we've discussed a few weeks back, AI also lies. AI makes up, makes shit up. AI makes stuff. AI has its own truth. The difference is, is that AI doesn't have to believe, doesn't believe in anything even. AI has zero integrity. AI is, an, is a machine. It has no conscience. It'll never have conscience. And so it'll spit out arbitrary, made up, my truths infinitely. And every time it comes up with a my truth, that truth will be different. Irrelevant of objective reality and irrelevant of consciousness, irrelevant of gnosis, irrelevant of that, all of this, all mechanicity is outside of the Ark. The Ark of Noah and the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark of the Covenant, right, is union to be faithful to one's innermost being, to be faithful to one's immortal beloved. That's what true faith is. And that happens in the ark, in the holiest, holy of holies, in the temple. And everything happening outside. And that's why Jesus had to kick the moneylenders out of the temple. Because that type of transactional mechanicity and worldly stuff doesn't belong in the temple, doesn't belong in the, in the, on the ark of Noah, and it doesn't belong in the ark of the covenant. Benjamin says, I read on AI, it has started to decode thoughts or put thoughts into code. <clears throat> uh, you know, that's because people like Elon Musk and uh, all the transhumanists are desperate to put computer chips into people's heads and be able to read and interpret brain activity. Let them, let them, let them knock themselves out. And AI will never read consciousness. An AI will never be able to read your intuition. To reading people's thoughts with AI, with, with computers, and, and interpreting people's thoughts with computers, that's just bullshit. That's just my truth. That's what all this mechanicity and all this technology is all about. It's all about getting people stuck up in their heads and stuck up in that bandwidth, in that cacophony 
of 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 the rational mind, which we've said many times in what we've have live streams on, you must master your mind or be its slave. So my truth and AI and all of these things are all designed and uh, uh, social media and technology and uh, academia and and materialist science and virtual reality and all of this stuff <clears throat> is just designed to get us <clears throat> to get us ever more enslaved by the by mechanicity by our own egos by our own ego mind because mechanicity is the antithesis of consciousness it is the antithesis of divinity it is the adversary it is for lack of a better expression evil <clears throat> because it's heartless it's soulless it doesn't care automatic it's mechanical it's like the t-800 right it's like the terminator it's like the agents from the matrix it's <clears throat> it's the antithesis of god it's the antithesis of divinity it's the antithesis of love love is not mechanical love is not arbitrary love is not automatic love is not reactionary Love is none of those things. Love is unconditional. And mechanicity is pure conditionality. It's pure cause and effect on the level of mechanical. <clears throat> it is pure conditionality. The cogs in the wheel, right? It's, it's, the, uh, it's the clockworks in a, in, a, in a clock, in a timepiece. <clears throat> Mugaboo says, I think it reads strong emotions, fear, hate, happy, sad. It can't read happy. <clears throat> it can read pleasure, but not happy. Pleasure and happiness are not the same thing, but it can read negative emotions, fear, hate, so on, and it can pick up uh, the neurotransmitters and it can pick up uh, uh, sort of the, uh, the, the signals that if someone's in a peaceful state or in a happy state, that they'll pick up those signals and it'll interpret that. It's just making interpretations. People have been doing this with MRIs for years. So what they're doing is, Magabu, is they're taking those MRI images and those EEGs and MRI images of millions of people over, over decades and they're feeding them into these AIs and they're having the AIs interpret and try to figure out um, and associate those to the uh, the different emotions, what? Because they have all this data, they've been accumulating all this data for decades, and now they're feeding it into the AI. And so the AI is creating a um, a large language model like ChatGPT, but focused solely on being able to read brain scans. And um, and yeah, and they're the applications for this are for, they're going to start off the applications for this are going to be. Uh, the police and um, and lawyers, legal legal standpoints, you know, interrogations, like so they're going to put put somebody in an MRI and ask them questions, and they're going to be so it's going to be like <clears throat> this AI is going to be able to tell when people are telling the truth, tell them that they're lying, and actually be able to read their read their thoughts, read their minds. So that's the that's the hope, that's the dream, that's the fantasy that they want to arrive at with this uh, with this stuff.
Yeah, exactly. And by the way, we've not heard or read any articles about this. It's just, we're just getting the information from, so you know. Um, they plan to use those mind reading devices in the workplace. Oh yes, okay, so that bosses can monitor employees' productivity. Yes, it is really an evil technology for human enslavement. Yeah, well, it's ba basically like, but you know, uh, honestly, um, it's ironic, right? They, they won't be using those mind reading devices in the workplace because there's not gonna be any people in the workplace. All those white collar jobs are going to AI. And you don't need to read people's minds who are working on the assembly line. Right? No, it'll it'll be used it'll be used instead in for law enforcement and for being able to scan people. So, you know why they installed those scanners at the airports? Remember after 9/11, now you have to walk through these scanners all over the airports so that if uh, there are um, uh, political dissidents, uh, enemies of the state, right? And they put these scanners like, you know, going into a bank or going into a government building or if you're trying to leave the country, they'll be able to scan. Even if you're trying to leave the country with a uh, false passport, if you go through those scanners when you, pre you present your passport and you're nervous and they can tell that you're not being honest and they they can tell that your mind is thinking about another name another person and they're scanning you and all this guy <clears throat> so this is all like anti-terrorist anti-enemy of the state it's all one world government and and all related to that kind of stuff so they don't want free thinking individuals and they don't want individuals who are outside of the system Right? They want everybody in their box, in their system. So in the same way, like when we talk about not being in the ark, the, the Black Lodge are essentially, they want everybody in their own ark, but for them it's not an ark, it's a, it's a prison, right? And it's, it's, a, it's a prison of delusion, it's a prison of lies, it's hell. but they want everybody kept in line and kept in order because of the hierarchy that's there. Benjamin says the World Economic Forum has this tech, it seems, as uh, shown on this video. Uh, okay, we'll have to check out that video after. We won't play it because we don't want to get a YouTube strike. We don't want to get, uh, you know, how it is when we try to show another somebody else's uh stuff in the stream so um <clears throat> there's the link on on screen and um can i i can't click it right no i can't click it okay so anyway so if you guys want to go and check out that that video um what Benjamin's talking about. It seems that they already have that video, that technology in place, but I know they're working on that. So, uh, and of course, Elon Musk owns the company that's working on the chip interface. So right now they have monkeys playing video games, well, like Pong and stuff 
with uh with you know without using their hands it's just, you're just thinking it so they want to do the reverse they want to be able to capture information from scans and being and uh, put them into a computer as well <clears throat> but of course the next step is if they can put a chip into your brain well can they program your brain directly that's the that's the next uh step of all of this right Okay. Any more uh, comments or questions from anyone before we call it a day here? Sorry, my throat's been... Um... <clears throat> I ran out of water. I don't have much water left. I, and uh, I guess I was a little parched coming in. So listen, everyone, if there's no more question or, questions or comments, we want to thank you all again for uh, being with us today. Have a great week. Um, enjoy the rest of your mother's day. And, um, and again, as always, we just want to let you know, uh, inferential peace. And when you encounter the, my truths, the, my truthers, um, just, well, You may need to be severe, but try to be severe in a kind and compassionate way because it's very hard to reach these people. Very hard to reach someone living in my truth. So, and uh, we don't know if we're any better at it. Well, we'll find out when, when the book is released and we'll see if we can actually reach, get through to them somehow. It'll take a miracle, but... The good news is I'm just I'm just the uh, the secretary, I'm just the stenographer, so hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know miracles can happen. So thanks, thanks Atlas Mugaboo says thank you Mugaboo for being here. Thank you everyone, and once again, inferential peace. Take care. We hope to uh, see you again next Sunday. Goodbye.